Welcome back to the Power of Sports Nutrition podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you David Wagner. David is a quad tennis player, currently ranked number three, but has spent many, many years at number one. And he's a five-time Paralympian. So the old man has graced us with his presence at last. I've been trying to track him down for a while. So welcome to the podcast, David. Hey, thanks, Liz. It's, uh, yeah, finally could carve out some time and, and make it work. So, uh, yeah, it's cool. I'm excited and, and it's always good to catch up with you. And, and yeah, I look forward to it. You're a legend in this sport and you've got a lot to talk to us about. But firstly, we want you to start off by telling us about your background, your impairment and how you got into wheelchair tennis. Yeah, okay. So I guess my background basically for my disability was acquired when I was 21 years old. I had an accident on the beach in uh, Redondo, California, just outside, just south of L.A. Mm -hmm. I got tossed by a wave and landed on the backside of the wave and uh, hit my head on the ocean floor behind the wave where it was shallower and uh, instantly snapped my neck and, and became uh, mm -hmm. paralyzed. I broke my neck at a C6 level and became a spinal cord injury quadriplegic. Incomplete quadriplegic. I can't stand or walk or anything, but I have mm -hmm. uh, weakened, quite weakened finger dexterity. So I can wiggle my fingers. My grip strength is quite weakened. So when I lift weights or hold a pencil or, or use a fork and knife, I grip it uh, in a different manner than than probably the way 100% able-bodied hands would would hold something, so or use some sort of assistive device to help hold the utensil or the weight or for example my tennis racket. I tape mm -hmm. the racket to my hand um, because of my grip strength isn't strong enough to hold the racket as the ball contacts the racket. Yep, and so. Uh, so that that was in 1995 when I acquired my accident, and in in the four years between 95 and 99, I finished some finished my college degree, got an elementary education degree, started playing a little bit of ping pong, table tennis. Mm -hmm. We call it ping pong in the states, but the uh, professional term is is table tennis, and mm -hmm. uh, really fell in love with competition at that point in my life as a disabled athlete, uh, mm -hmm. learned about the Paralympics and learned about disabled sport through via table tennis. Um, yep. And then in 99, I was just thumbing through a magazine called Sports and Spokes magazine, which is like Sports Illustrated for disabled athletes here in the States. Uh -huh. uh, it might even have been worldwide. And um, they had an ad for a wheelchair tennis clinic there in uh, Portland, Oregon, which was about four and a half hours southeast of where I was living in Walla Walla. So mm -hmm. I jumped in the car with my mom and, and went and checked it out. Thought that what might as well check it out and see how, how I how I like it or don't like it. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I hit a ball without any assistive device trying to hold a racket, the racket just flew out of my hand. And I'm like, there is no way in hell a quadriplegic yeah. can hold a racket and hit a tennis ball. I said, maybe somebody with full grip. I get it. But, but I was yeah. like, ridiculous. I'll never... You know, I'll never amount to anything in this sport. And lo and behold, I, I learned how to use assistive device, athletic tape to, to hold the racket. I mean, that, that was in 99. 
Um, mm-hmm. I finished school and graduated in 2000 with my elementary education degree. And between the 99 and 2001, I kind of trained and played a couple recreational tournaments, learned a little bit about more about training and, and nutrition, whatnot for, for um, preparing for when mm-hmm. I was finished with school, if I was going to either commit and try to be a quote unquote professional disabled athlete, or if I were going to go in and be a, be a, a disabled teacher, right. And, and go into yep. teach. And I, my mom and I, we talked about it a lot and then we just felt like might as well give the, the sport a try. It's, you can always fall back on your degree and, and, mm-hmm. and not have the degree. I can always fall back on it. And so I, I jumped full, you know, full head of steam, dove right into, into tennis uh, head first and just fell in love with the sport and, and learned as much as I could from the people that played before me and mm-hmm. uh, coaches, before, you know, my early on coaches and uh, made my first Paralympic Games in, in 2004. Mm-hmm. And which was Athens, Greece, and yeah, it just continued on the path of being a, a professional athlete. Yeah, and so you hadn't played tennis before your accident. Uh, well, ironically, about ten months before my accident, I was a it was a freshman sophomore in college, and uh, I had stopped playing competitive sport as an able bodied player. And, mm-hmm. which was basketball was my first love and, and golf. And uh, I mean, I, I loved all sports, but those two I played throughout high school and, and really enjoyed those two sports. And I, in college, just kind of got burnt out and, and was like, I'm done. I'm not going to go play mm-hmm. anywhere. And 10 months prior to my accident, I ended up seeing an advertisement on a flyer at the community college, the junior college uh, in my town of Walla Walla, Washington. It said, uh, looking for a scholarship, try tennis. And I was like, mm. all right. I mean, who, who doesn't want a scholarship, right? Uh, <laughs> so I was like, I'll give it a try. I mean, I've always been athletic. I had never played tennis prior to that in my life, uh, other mm-hmm. than just home run tennis, try to hit the ball over the fence and run around. Yep. And just have, you know, kind of fun. But I remember in like some of my PE classes, you know, we in our physical education classes growing up, we had to learn tennis. But it never mm. piqued my interest as much as golf and ten as as much as golf and basketball, basketball. other sports uh, outside of tennis. But the second I started playing in college, I just immediately fell in love with the game of tennis as an able-bodied player. Mm. I sucked. I was terrible. <laughs> I made my college team. I never won a single match, uh, which doesn't surprise me. I was a late bloomer to tennis, and when you start late in tennis and you're playing guys who've played. That's the time they were five years old and you're 20, mm-hmm. you know, they've got a yeah. year head start. You, you're just so far behind the eight ball. You can't ever catch up. Yep. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I'd, I'd stay up all night. My grades suffered because of playing tennis into the wee hours of the night. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, I, I just loved it. But I, I, like I said, I was terrible at it. And so, uh, you know, 10 months later, I, is when I had my accident and it took me four years after to find wheelchair tennis. And it wasn't, again, like I said earlier, it wasn't, it had anything to do with, not because I didn't want to be around tennis or sport. I just didn't even know it existed. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so what's your, so you're a, a quad tennis player. So what are some of the 
classification kind of guidelines around being a quad tennis player as opposed to an open wheelchair tennis player? Yeah, so so in wheelchair tennis, we only have two categories based on disability. We have a Mm -hmm. men's open and a women's open, and therefore your paraplegics, amputees, uh, individuals that don't don't also have an upper body impairment. They have only lower limb impairments that mm-hmm. do not allow them to play on even a remotely close to equal level playing field as an able-bodied player. Mm-hmm. So, so that's for men and women open. And then the only other category we incorporate is for uh, quad, and it's the quad open category where it's 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 kind of loosely defined as having upper body impairments that don't allow you to play on an equal level playing field with somebody who doesn't have upper body impairments, i.e. Mm-hmm. Uh, lack of tricep muscles or, or full core or core muscles or grip strength like for my myself. Yep. So just to try and level out the playing field within our sport of tennis, they've adapted and accepted having uh, a secondary category based on disability. Yep. Okay. And so you don't have any core or abdominal muscle function. So are you strapped into your chair? Yeah. So I don't have the ability to fire my muscles in my abs and my back are very weak and paralyzed. My, my paralysis actually starts at my chest, uh, about my mid chest and my nipple line down. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm incomplete. So I do have like spasticity in tone and Mm. stomach and back will spasm, but I'm not in control of it in any way, shape or form. So it, it up, but not in a way that's beneficial because I'm not able to use it to, to, you know, to to function. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I, I wear a seatbelt around my hips, pretty high around my hips. Another one that goes just over my the top part of my knees, down down my thighs, but above my kneecaps. Mm-hmm. And then part of my disability, I I am one of the lucky few that are quadriplegics that have what's called heterotopic ossification, and it attacks your it's like soft tissue bone growth, right? Starts to regrow and it attacks your joints. And mine has right. mine has aggressively attacked my hips. So I actually don't bend at my hips with with any type of even remotely close to full range of motion. So mm-hmm. I do not wear a binder or strap around my belly attached to my chair to give me balance or, or stability. I, I would probably benefit from it from a stability and in, in side to side and forward and backward stability, but it really limits my ability to push because I can't bend at all at my hips. And mm. so I kind of sit, if you, if you see pictures of me, uh, you'd see me, I, I don't have the greatest posture because my hips don't allow me to get at like a, even go to close to a 90. So I kind of, kind of mm. slouch sit. And when I bend, I bend at my back instead of at my hips. And so yep. that does is kind of spring me back up with my mm-hmm. spine being bent as opposed to laying flat with my chest on my uh, lap. Yep. And uh, okay. so a lot of quadriplegics, a lot of paraplegics without core will just fall straight over and they'll bend in half 
Yep. They'll be able to put their their chest, their torso right on the top of their kneecaps. I can't even come remotely close to touching my chest to my my kneecaps. My ball and socket in my hips are just so fused, I just can't bend. So blessing and a curse, I guess, for sport, Mm -hmm. it's probably great because it does allow me to have a little bit more stability. Uh, Yeah. But it's not. But you wouldn't. You wouldn't be a very good wheelchair racer. No, I wouldn't be a good. <laughs> I have zero range of motion. I mean, I I can't sit with my legs out. We call it long sitting. I can't sit with mm-hmm. my legs out in front of me and lean forward and do any type of hamstring stretch or or reach down to my my feet. So I'm yeah. very rigid, uh, very very locked in this um, fetal position, as uh, if you will, when I'm mm-hmm. out of my chair. My hips just don't go either way, perfectly straight out or bend up anymore. Bend. Yep. So, mm-hmm. okay. And the spasm that you get, it, it's quite interesting because you know I've I've watched you numerous times, and and you'll be just sitting talking to me, and your legs will be bouncing up and down because of the spasm that you get, mm-hmm. which is quite does that become worse when you're fatigued or is that just something that is intermittent yeah you know it uh, being an incomplete spinal cord injury i have decent sensation so Mm -hmm. i feel everything in my body i feel everywhere i just don't feel hot or cold or sharp or dull so it's kind of like coming home from this after getting the novocaine injections in your mouth and you can feel everything but it doesn't feel normal so you can be like chewing yep. lip and you know you're chewing on your lip but it hurt <laughs> <laughs> kind of how my whole body feels i know if i'm sitting in the wrong position or my butt's tired or my toes are dragging on the ground or they're they're mm-hmm. twisted up in my shoes or whatever so i know that i feel that so that spasticity you say like uh, when i bounce on say the ball of my feet it it'll go all day every day if i would let it it would probably go 24 hours uh, nonstop. Mm-hmm. And, and it just actually feels good to be honest with you, because I don't, I don't have movement in my lower extremities on, you know, v- voluntary movement. So it's all mm-hmm. voluntary movement, but I can feel it firing and I can feel it. The muscles tighten. I can feel, I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like the blood flow gets better when there's just that tightening and release mm. muscles. So when it, when it does it, I do let it go. Um, and people that don't know me or they're, they're learning, you know, talking to me for the first time, they're like, whoa, you can move your legs. And I'm like, eh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my legs can move themselves, but yeah. that's got nothing to do with me, my, me asking them to. <laughs> exactly. exactly. They move their own, their own. They have their own mind. Um, yeah. And I don't know that fatigue plays a role. I mean, when I'm really tired, I guess they just don't spasm quite as much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's also kind of a trigger for me. When something's wrong, if yep. I were to put like a scolding hot pan on my leg, my legs would go crazy. It, I wouldn't say, yep. ooh, ow, that's freezing cold or ooh, ow, that's hot as hell. But um, I would know something isn't right. Yep, yep, because your legs yep. will do something to you. Been yep. Over the place. And they would jump whether it was freezing cold water or boiling hot water. Yep. I just wouldn't be able to tell you which one it is. I would be able to tell you something's not right. So in a yep. kind of a... You know, blessing and a curse, I guess, because if something's wrong or say I'm in a bad position or twisted wrong or put something hot on cold on my leg, my, my body does react. 
<laughs> and it's kind of that, that trigger of like, whoa, something's not right. The message is trying to get through, but it can't get through uh, as to yep. what exactly it is. So, uh -huh. um, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say that, that it has anything to do with being more or less fatigued. Yeah, fatigued or, yeah, fatter or skinnier. They, they, they still jump equal whether I'm my weight fluctuates up and down or not. But And does it interrupt your sleep? Yeah, that, that's probably the biggest downfall to it is I do take a pretty steady dose of muscle relaxers. Mm -hmm. I take is called Baclofen. I take 20 milligrams four times a day. So every six hours, it has a mm. life of uh, five hours. So, so I have a pretty good amount in my system pretty much at all times. But there, there are times when it doesn't knock out the spasticity enough and it will keep me up at night or I'll have mm. some discomfort or pain in my legs or my ankle will, will be twisted or had twisted. And it, it jumps kind of all night long and keeps me awake. And that's, mm. I guess, probably the worst part to being incomplete is that, that you feel that much discomfort that it keeps you awake. Yep. Yep. And we've talked about sleep and, and the importance of sleep with athletes and, and recovery and adaptation. So I guess that's, that's on the flip side, one of the, you know, the downsides of, of your spasticity is that it can, if it's interrupting your sleep, that potentially isn't helping you in your adaptation and and recovery. Yeah, de definitely. You know, a spasm that's so strong it jerks you, it jerks your legs off the bed, and now your legs are mm -hmm. on the ground, and the rest of your body's going to follow suit. Certainly wakes you up, and so, <laughs> um, yeah, you definitely get. I definitely get woken up a fair bit by spasticity, and then bladder control is an issue for me too. Mm -hmm. Complete. I know when I have to, to, to void, but, but there's not a night that doesn't go by that I won't at not at least have to wake up two times within the night to, to void and, and take a wee. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so, so hydration plays a role, how much, how little before you go to bed, all of those things play a huge role in the recovery of sleep. Mm -hmm. You tack on spasticity and 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 pain that that somebody who's maybe complete doesn't feel yeah it definitely adds to the the challenge mm. so can you tell us a little bit about what your training looks like i know finding a typical week of training for you is near on impossible because mm. you travel so much to play tennis how many weeks of the year are you traveling yeah the, you know the tennis calendar is year round and we, we don't really have a, a season, so to speak. So, you know, we, we mm. start down there in Australia in January. And, and pretty much in reality, if you wanted to in, in wheelchair tennis, there's a tournament every single week of the year. So you could actually mm. play a tournament 52 weeks out of the year if you really wanted to. I don't think anybody's body could handle that. Yeah. But but for me, I, I play between 17 to 22 tournaments a year. So and they're mm -hmm. about a week long. So that's, that's, you know, 22 weeks just for competition. That doesn't include yep. three or four days traveling and arriving early and, and preparing and, and whatnot. So, you know, if, if I were to really look at it, I'd say I'm close to probably 30, 35 weeks out of the year on the road. Mm. 
So, and that yep. includes sometimes going off to other areas to train and get, get a couple of week training block somewhere else outside of San Diego where I live now and, and train in another environment or another region of the States or the world. And then on top of that, teaching some clinics and running camps and the, yeah, the, the other stuff I like to do. So, so I'd say between 32 and 40 weeks out of the year, I'm probably on the road. Mm-hmm. And so how do you manage training with that? I mean, I guess your training is a little different now than it was when you first started in terms of you've got the skills. It's more about maintaining a certain level of fitness and a certain level of strength these days because the actual competition looks after the skill aspect. What What is the focus of your training when you do train? Yeah, you know, back, back when I was younger and, 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 and able to grind it out a little longer on a court, my training in the beginning of time was, you know, thousands of forehands in a week, just tens mm. of thousands, just drop feed, drop feed, drop feed, you know, just, just that muscle memory of, of the stroke production and the pushing of the chair and all of that. And it's, it, you know, we always say it, it's that building block, like the pyramid, right? You start at the bottom and, and you build mm. and you, you don't really move up until you've moved out for a very strong, stable base. And, yeah. and so by doing that early on in my career and not jumping right into competition and taking a couple of years of, of just some serious, serious training, um, mm-hmm. built a really strong base, which has, I think, really paid off in the long run in my career. Uh, you know, I'm yep. older now than a lot of my my competitors. And so my training has had to change. I can't be on a court six hours a day yep. like I used to when I was 20 in the early 20s, you know. <laughs> You know, my body just would break down. And so, so it's a lot smarter training and, and that, that pyramid shaped training module where the base is there and I can always pull on the base because it's so Mm. wide and so vast. I have the experience that I built from that in the beginning of my training blocks that now, you know, I can get an hour, hour and a half a day on a court, maybe even every other Mm -hmm. And feel pretty good about my my ball striking and and uh, ability to track the ball as it's coming to me visually. And so for me, it's it's really as I've gotten older, been a lot more about trying to stay fit, be be a little yep. more cautious with my diet. Not saying it's easy by any means. Uh, <laughs> and, and I I've been one of those guys. My weight has always fluctuated and. You know, if anybody's listening to this and goes and does a Google shirt search, you can see like 2004, I'm quite thin. 2008, I'm heavier. 2012, I'm thinner. 2016, I'm back to heavier. 2020, I'm still heavy, right? And so like, <laughs> I, I wasn't one of those like, just always have that metabolism that 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 kind of just burned through it. So it's always been mm-hmm. like a, a give and take in my, in my career of diet and and training and and the combination together Mm. has always been the menu for success for me um but but like just being able to call on my experience from the early days of you know hitting tens of thousands of forehands and back and serves and volleys and 
just just having the, the the core base down, I can pull on that. And so when I'm struggling, sometimes it's just two or three words from a coach, you know, the racket has mm. dropping too low or your body is leaning too far down or you're not reaching right. up for that ball, right? You're or, or you're taking it late. And it's not like I need yep. to go and spend a thousand hours to change it. I just need I need to grind it out, feel it and remember Oh yeah, that's right. Get in this position, be in the right position. And, and that muscle memory is still there. And, and I think that's just what's so important about any person starting just that, get that base and make it as wide and stable and, and supportive as you can and then yep. start to build up. Yep. Yep. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit about your nutrition. And I know it's something that it's, Again, it's it's a tricky one because being on the road as often as you are and and being at tournaments where they're providing food, which isn't always along the line of, of what you'd normally eat, what you eat at home is is probably a little bit different than what you'd eat when you're on the road, would you say? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I, I was real lucky to have the luxury for you know, from 2011 till 2021, so 10, 11 years, to live in an Olympic training center here in the United States uh, where you and I met. But, mm -hmm. but I was very fortunate to live in that type of environment where when I came home, it was very simple to jump right back into what's normal type of eating at home or, or cleaner, healthier, whatever everyone wants to call it nowadays, but but able to get right back on on the wagon basically when I got home mm -hmm. as opposed to when I'm on the road. I mean, oftentimes you're, we're an event and you know, it, 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 the tennis world, there is no set time for starting. The only match that starts yep. at that time is the first one. And it might be first on mm -hmm. at 11. Well, you could be fourth on after 11, you could have a match that goes three hours. You could have a match that goes 45 minutes. So, you know, you, yep. you're fourth on, you've got to kind of plan accordingly and, and try to base it on your nutritional needs on what what's happening throughout the day. But then but then you're also at the kind of the mercy of what the event provides you for for food. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's pizza or sandwiches or, uh, you know, like Chick-fil-A or something, you know, and <laughs> you, you kind of have to pick your poison because you got to have substance. You can't you can't be ah yep. oh, well it's fried chicken so I'm not going to eat it right but but maybe yep. maybe for me instead of eating three of them maybe just eat one you know like like mm. even though I'm super hungry uh, I, I don't need that and then there's things to supplement with bananas and nuts and you know all those kinds of snacks that I would mm -hmm. bring a lot with me on events and I still I still yep. do travel with like some turkey and some nuts or some some baked cheeses and and stuff that that when i need it it's there and and pretty much anywhere in the world you can find fruit yep. might not be the fruit you're used to but at least it's it's something so um but and and what i find works for me is i guess it's the old adage or, or you hear a lot of like portion control i guess e eating what i what is provided um i don't it's not like i have diet restrictions yep. or allergies or anything so it's not that that wasn't an issue for me ever, but eating that what was provided, but in moderation or, or portion control. Um, but, but knowing that to, to just limit the junk as much as I can, I guess. Yeah. When you're at home, 
what would a typical day of food look like? You know, you're out of the training centre now, yeah. so you, you're in your own place and you're preparing food for yourself. Yeah. So give us kind of an idea of what a typical day might look like uh, if and when you're at home. So, so for me now that I live on my own and I'm not at the centre where the food's prepared and the, the prep is done and the cleaning and all of that, right? So for me now, mm. I'm, I'm really more about the ease of what I can make. Yep. So I'm not making things from scratch, right? I'm not, I, I, I go like Costco and I buy the frozen salmon fillets, right? And, and they're frozen mm-hmm. and I slap them on a George Foreman grill or, or an air fryer or put them in the oven or on a skillet. And, but, but I'm, I'm yep. all about just the ease of whatever can be the easiest. And when I need some carbs or something, I get, for me, I I pay a little more. Um, it's not cost effective, yep. but I pay a little more for like pre-cut sweet potatoes or or the um, the the minute rice that you throw in the microwave and it's ready to go. Mm-hmm. Quinoa that's frozen and and you just kind of rehydrate it, basically, for lack of another term. Yep. And and again, probably not the healthiest, but I'm I'm about the ease of of cleanup and, and prep and you know I, I you know being an athlete you, you do eat a fair bit and, and you don't want to like you know I, I don't I don't want to spend the majority of my days prepping and cleaning and that's just me some yeah. athletes love that yeah and that, that's what they live for and they love doing that yeah. I'm not great at meal prep meal prep doesn't work for me I get really bored with the yep. same meals over and over I can do it I just don't I just know that it's not sustainable for me um over yeah. long haul so so for me to make the mm-hmm. same meal and have it nine times in a row <laughs> yeah you got you that's not going to work <laughs> so so for me it's it's about ease you know th- throw a steak on the grill it, just just something quick and easy but still yep. somewhat healthy and fresh and and i mean look i i still will eat out I mean, I live in San Diego, so we've got great food around here to go. To. Mm. But again, it's in moderation and, and, you know, maybe I don't need three burritos in the day or something. Um, I might want yep. days, but, um, but <laughs> yeah, you know, like j- just, just limit that. You know, I, I enjoy a, a nice beer every once in a while too. So I don't, yep. I don't really deprive myself of, of a whole lot of stuff. I just try to limit the amount and I try to limit, mm-hmm. um, for me, I try to limit my time frame of, of eating. So I try not to just kind of graze all day long. That doesn't seem to work. Yeah. feel too blah when I do that. So I found mm-hmm. for me, it, it kind of works better if I set a, a window, so to speak, of I'm going to try to get my my calories in at this time from this time frame to this time frame it's not always perfect yep. and it doesn't always work especially it's harder when you're on the road um when you're at home yeah kind of kind of make your schedule to to fit that so but yeah for me it's more just about ease and cleanup ease and and prep ease and then yep um and and i and so what is bland so in terms of in terms of veggies, like you, you mentioned the pre-cut sweet potato, what else do you do in terms of getting so, your veggies in? Because, you, you know, that's something that you always quite liked 
to to make sure you've incorporated yeah, in. Yeah. And so like, what are some of your tricks? Yeah, so, I mean, for me at the centre, you know, it was super easy. The broccoli was always there. Our roasted Brussels sprouts were always there. It was always available. Our salad mm-hmm. bar was always available. So, But I, I kind of look for that same thing now, you know, like, I'll hit the Costco or I'll hit a, a grocery store and I'll get like a bagged salad as opposed to a yeah. head of lettuce and chop it up and prepare it and, and whatever. So, so I'll kind of get like a pre-made salad at, at the grocery store. And it, again, it's not the most cost effective. So I'm sure I'm not smart with my budget from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly is easy when I just throw the entire bag of salad into a bowl toss it pre-cut carrots and and broccoli and and you know i'll roast up some brussels sprouts still and so um yeah then, then i'll drizzle like some some dressing on it some some uh, avocado oils or something that have different flavors and stuff mm-hmm. so um but yeah i mean it, it definitely i do like my veggies and uh and that is one thing i do notice when i'm on the road i don't get the same amount mm-hmm Yep, and they're hard to pack in your bag to carry with you, aren't they? Yeah, I've, I've yet to find a good solution to to having veggies. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of supplements out there of like green juice or you know all those whatever. Like mix this green powder with this fluid, and you're getting thirty thousand nutrients. <laughs> and it's like it doesn't ever feel the same to me. So, yep, yep. <laughs> And what's what specific nutrition challenges do you feel you've had over the years? Like your sweat rate's not very high. Yeah. And so your fluid intake, as you said, you know, if you drink too much, it, you end up having to get up a lot during the night and that's just more waking you up. Have you found a good rhythm with how much fluid you need or is that still something that can, that can be a, a problem it's it's actually quite a challenge for me. As I stated earlier, you know, oftentimes we'll we'll play tennis and and we'll be fourth or fifth match on after eleven o'clock, and that could be sometimes seven or eight at night. You just truly don't mm. know when you're going to play. So trying to stay hydrated but not too hydrated because in tennis you only get two bathroom breaks. So Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're overhydrated, then, you know, you, you don't perform well either, but then you're also breaking up your, your competition by having to leave to go to the toilet in the middle of competition. So there's no, yeah there's no rhythm to your, your, your competition and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so, so that's still a struggle for me. You know, I, it, it'd be an interesting study. Uh, I'm sure there are some out there, but it'd be an interesting study with, individuals who don't sweat like myself as Mm -hmm. to how much is too much hydration, how much is too little hydration, what type of electrolyte drink or or supplement Mm. should we be taking or not taking for that matter. So I kind of go with the old adage for me, if I'm thirsty, drink, Mm -hmm. you know, I definitely drink. I I try not to feel thirsty throughout the day. And so there's there's some nights when I'm about to go to bed and I'm like, damn, I'm thirsty, and and mm-hmm. I know at that point that it's I think I think you know you guys have taught us or taught me that when you start feeling like you're thirsty that that is a sign of dehydration, and so I 
I will take a big glass of water or get some drinks in me knowing that I might have disruptive sleep, but there's that fine, mm-hmm. like, well, I can't wake up the next day and be so dehydrated that my training suffers or my competition suffers. So there's that fine line of, of how much is too much or not enough and, um, mm-hmm. and yep. what to supplement with or not to supplement with. And so, yeah. And as you say, sometimes like, I guess also the, the duration of your games can vary quite a bit. Like the, they can be relatively short and they can also be longer. And so do you fuel or do you not fuel? Yeah during a game is is always a bit of a challenge too isn't it it is it really is i mean I, i've had a match that's been over four hours long and i've had a match that's been under hmm. uh, 55 minutes you know so and that's yep. in the same tournament so, so that's that's like <laughs> one round to the next round so you just don't you're hmm. gonna get so uh you know I, I i hate to be that old guy who who's like well you gotta be prepared but but that is the of the beast like you don't walk out on the court without your rackets all strung and ready to go and your chair ready mm. tires pumped up and and for me nutrition is just as important so i always make sure i have something in my bag that that if i'm starting to feel faint or or like i need a a quick picker upper i've got that whether that be yeah. you know something as simple as as a hard candy to suck on or a gel of some sort or a you know Light or goo or, or or some sort of quick hitter, but then I've got yep. nuts and then you know the, the the fruit that's provided by the tournament, you know, and and all of that. So there there are ways to be prepared, and if you don't use it, you don't use it. You still have it in your bag for another time, but yep. uh, but yeah, you you got to walk on the court assuming that all matches are going to be go the distance. So you yeah. got to be ready and prepared for that. It's so different from any other sport that has a timer or a or mm. start and a stop, a start line and a finish line. You know, you know mm. approximately how long it takes you to get from point A to point B. Uh, in ours, it's just you go till the score is the score. And so, um, yeah. and so, yeah, it definitely makes it a challenge in, in the, the sport of tennis for sure. And, and heat, yeah. you know, because we're outside. So, playing in the heat and you're not sweating majority of the fluid Mm. i'm taking is just dumped on me so as Mm. opposed to as opposed to going in my system so how much should go in how much should go on me how much soaking wet am i you know so there's there's a lot that goes into it it is it is about preparation and and you know one of the one of the things i learned again from you was not just being prepared but but knowing what works and doesn't work for you and that's what yep. was great about training in an environment where it's hot or it's cold or spending three hours on a court and feeling what your body needed. And, oh, I'm dehydrated and this is what I drank and monitoring that and, you know, charting. What did you drink today? What did you eat? What did you have? Yep. How do you feel in the middle of that training session? Um, so, yep. so, yeah, a lot, a lot of that it was, was done early on for me and, and it's all paid off, I think, and, and prolonged. My yeah. career because of it yeah yeah for sure i mean there's not too many elite level tennis players who are still playing 24 25 years after they started are they yeah no it, it, it's <laughs> not a not a sport like that of longevity from that perspective <laughs> david what recommendations do you have for 
new para-athletes, whether they're young or whether they've come in because of a recent injury uh, and they're just looking to get into para-sport, what recommendations do you have? You know, Liz, to, to be honest, the first recommendation I will always tell somebody is, uh, you know, to, to enjoy it and love it and have fun <laughs> in it. You know, if, if you're not enjoying it, you're not loving it and it's not fun, you're probably not going to stick it out to, to any level for that yeah. matter, whether you take it to the highest level and become an elite Paralympic athlete or, or play in the Grand Slams or, or you're playing a major event or or just go recreationally and walk out on the court and hit tennis balls with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your your uh, family, right, whatever, it may be. Mm-hmm. shoot hoops, whatever. Um, but but thoroughly just, just enjoy it, like, like love yeah. the part of what you – what what you look forward to going out there and trying something new and and enjoy mm. enjoy all of it and, and take all of that in but but you know as as you progress for me what was really important was education what was learning yep. what works for me and some of it's trial and error by yourself and and saying all right look they're saying you know the, the nutritionist or the sports psych or or the coach is saying we need to do this in this situation well that might not be it, it, it's probably not wrong, but maybe it's not right for you. And so, you know, yep. be willing to have some failure and learn from the failure and mm-hmm. then and then accept it and educate yourself and be around people who want to help you. And that's where I was yep. lucky having you and other support staff in to, in the training center to, to bounce ideas off of. And and just because you said it didn't mean I was going to agree with it or that I was going to do it, but it's, it's Mm. education that I was able to draw from and learn from. And maybe I don't do all of it. I do some of it. Maybe I do all of it. Maybe I do none of it, but, but to, to educate yourself first and foremost, enjoy it, have fun, love it, make it fun for yourself in whatever capacity that may be, then get yourself educated and learn what works for you in with your disability and and within your what what you can and can't do with your disability and experiment a little bit and and as i said be, be okay with a little bit of failure to uh, learn from those mm-hmm. failures and grow from them and then just surround yourself with supportive individuals who see what you want and help you achieve that and get there yep Fantastic. Well, David, you've got some meal prepping not to do and <laughs> and some recovery to do. So I will let you get on with it and your busy schedule, but you don't get away without the answer to what is your favorite food? Whew, my favorite food. Jeez. I mean, geez, that, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> You're you're allowed to be yeah, honest, David. Yeah, no, I, I will be. If 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 I if I'm <laughs> carefree and I don't care about anything, I'm eating a burrito, ha- hands down. Burrito, mm-hmm. chips and salsa, and uh, you know, a nice cold beer or a nice cold soda to to go down mm-hmm. with. But but if I'm, I'm it, trying not to eat like that and trying to eat a little healthier and cleaner, <laughs> I mean, straight up for me, it'll be a steak or a piece of salmon with. Just a ton of veggies and uh, you know, mm-hmm. roasted Brussels sprouts and roasted broccoli, steamed broccoli. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't follow the old adage of lots of color on my plate. I'm like green, 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 and red. <laughs> <laughs> 
like, it's useful for me, but but yeah, cer- certainly a burrito, and then would would be my like hundred percent go to. If I had like one last meal, it would be a burrito. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. It's been lovely being able to catch up with you and finally being able to grab. A, a little component of your very busy schedule. So uh, wishing you all the best for the next 18 months leading into Thank Paris you. and, you know, all the tournaments that you do. And, yeah, hopefully we can catch up again another time. Yeah, well, thanks for letting me come in and, and share a little bit about me and, and uh, no way, shape, or form am I an, am I an expert in nutrition. But, uh, yeah, really just sharing what, what I've done and what has worked and hasn't worked and, So, yes, it was great. I appreciate it. Thank you. David has some really good messages about using the network that you can build around you of experts in their area to help provide the education that you need to work out what works best for you, your sport, and your impairment. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any feedback, please leave it on our website and also please feel free to share it with your family and friends. And I hope you'll join us next time when we talk to Dr. Greg Cox about carbohydrate and athletes.